very nicely done. A wonderful psalm, wonderful praise to the Lord. Let us pray together. <clears throat> oh Lord, our God, we are so thankful for your word. And uh, we pray now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open our ears that we might listen, that we might understand, that we might believe, and that we might follow. Uh, help us, O oh Lord, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 103. Psalm 103, a psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord. All his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So far the reading of God's word. Uh, one of the things that I have looked for in my occasional studies of history is uh, what are the favorite psalms of people and of churches. Do you have a favorite psalm? Um, be fun to share that sometime in a 
Sunday school class? Uh, what is the psalm that speaks to your heart? Uh, Pastor Gordon in our church um, in Escondido, by the way, greetings from your brothers and sisters in Escondido. Uh, Pastor Gordon uh, is, is an enthusiastic young preacher who whatever text he preaches, he's very likely to say, this is my favorite text. And so it's all right for a, a favorite text, a favorite psalm to change, depending on the circumstances of our lives. And so maybe you had a favorite psalm at one point, and maybe now you have a different favorite psalm. That's okay. Uh, Martin Luther, I think, had a favorite psalm of Psalm 118. Uh, he took as his sort of life verse, I shall not die, but I shall live and tell of the works of the Lord. Um, the French Huguenots, their favorite psalm was Psalm 114, which is actually kind of weird. It's, it's a strange little psalm, and uh, the tune they sang it to is, for us moderns, almost unsingable. So I want someone to explain to me why that psalm grabbed them so. Uh, but it's a good psalm for those facing persecution. Uh, for the English-speaking world, it's pretty clear, isn't it, that uh, the favorite psalm is Psalm 23. Um, it's a psalm that uh, has a great text and a great tune and um, uh, speaks, doesn't it, wonderfully of the comforting work, the caring work of our God. For the Dutch Reformed, the favorite psalm was Psalm 103. And uh, you know this is a Dutch Reformed church. You don't have to be Dutch to be here. Uh, most of us aren't. But it's a tradition. It's a heritage. And in that heritage of Reformed churches that began in the Netherlands, it's Psalm 103 that has, uh, for many, many people, been the favorite. It's the psalm that was frequently uh, sung at communion. You know, that the tradition of the Dutch Reformed churches was communion four times a year, and they always sang uh, Psalm 103 at communion. It was a psalm frequently sung at funerals. It was so comforting. It was so reassuring. And uh, so I thought it would be good for us to look into that uh, psalm and... Uh, uh, even if it doesn't become your favorite, it ought to be on the short list. It's, it's a wonderful psalm in its beauty, in its construction, in its realism about uh, our uh, lives before the Lord and in the confidence that it has uh, in the grace of God. It is a psalm of praise. That's where it begins. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Uh, it's interesting how often praise in the scriptures is me speaking to myself. We think praise ought to be me speaking to God. But often in the Psalter, we speak first to ourselves uh, because we need to be taken in hand. And uh, God hears us when we speak to ourselves. God blesses us. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I want to dedicate myself to blessing the Lord, and that's what this psalm uh, is all about. Uh, we want to bless him, this psalm says, remembering all that he's done for us. 
bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That word benefits is really all his workings, all his doing for us. Uh, Think of all that the Lord has done for us. We mustn't forget it. It's so easy to forget it, isn't it? To take it for granted. But this psalm says we have to go on remembering. We have to go on praising the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us. So what particularly do we want to remember? Well, you'll be surprised to learn that I think the psalmist makes three points. The psalmist was a preacher as well as a poet. Uh, And his first point, I think, that we need to notice is we praise God for his character. Who is our God? And David here in Psalm 103 is highlighting that character of God. Um, At the very center of the psalm, you know, many psalms revolve around a center. And I think the center of this psalm, not exactly the numerical center, but the logical center of this psalm is verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. This is the essential character of our God. He is compassionate to his people. He is compassionate to his people. Is that that the first thing you think about in terms of the character of God? When you think about all that he's done, when you think about his benefits, when you think about his workings, is the notion of compassion what comes to mind. Uh, That's what this psalm wants to celebrate. That's what this psalm wants to to draw us to. And what does it mean by compassion? Well, it's interesting, in this psalm and in many other places uh, in the Old Testament, this word is also translated as mercy. Uh, God is merciful to his people. God cares for his people. Uh, It's a word of feeling, of, of connection, of love. That's the character of our God. And that's what Psalm 103 uh, is communicating so powerfully. The God in whom we believe, the God whom we serve, is a God of mercy and compassion to his people. He wants us to know that. And I think that's part of uh, what has drawn uh, Christian people through the ages to this psalm, this celebration of this character of God. And this psalm, in a sense, is, is very much reflecting um, a key experience in Moses' history and Moses' leadership of Israel. You notice the psalm itself, verse 7, says, God made known his ways to Moses. Moses is on the mind of David as he writes this psalm. And uh, really, it goes back, I think, to Exodus 33, where Moses prayed, show me your glory. Um, God had led Israel out of Egypt. God had led Israel to Sinai. Uh, There had been great ups and great downs, great struggles. Uh, There was still the promised land to be entered. And Moses 
in a measure of, of frustration as well as of commitment to the Lord. Praise the Lord, show me your glory. And you remember how the Lord responded? He says, I'll show you my goodness. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I don't know if he's saying to Moses, you're not ready for glory. But he's certainly saying, what you need most particularly is goodness. You need to see my goodness. And God says then, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And here, that word for mercy is the same word for compassion in Psalm 103. Who is, who is our God? What is his goodness? What is his essential goodness? It's that he will be gracious and that he will be showing mercy. And then the Lord passed by. You remember the wonderful description, Moses hidden in the cleft of the rock, and, and God passes by proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. There's that word for compassion again. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Uh, there is the Lord's declaration of himself making known his ways to Moses. And this is the theme that's picked up. And you, you maybe have here resonating many of these phrases and words uh, taken from Exodus 34 up in Psalm 103. Um, the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is abounding in steadfast love and mercy. What a wonderful thing to know about our God. What a wonderful thing to know about his character. Now, God always makes clear that this compassion and love is not to be confused with sentimentality. Uh, God remains a God of righteousness and holiness. Sin remains a real problem. The promise is that the character of God is that he'll show mercy to sinners who turn to him. That's his essential character that he wants to highlight. And uh, so for us today, what a wonderful thing it is to know that we have such a God. And, and part of what that means is that we live in a universe that is personal, one of the great tragedies of our time is the number of people who've turned away from God have adopted an entirely naturalistic and materialistic way of looking at the world and seem to be unaware of, of how horrible it is to live in a world that is profoundly impersonal, in a world that doesn't care. And I think one of the ways that we have to bear testimony in this world is to say, if you say the world doesn't care, it will create a lot of uncaring people. And if you say there is a God over this world who does care, 
That will create caring people. And so we need to testify in these dark times to the compassion of our God. And of course, we are more privileged than David in that we see the compassion of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? He is compassion incarnate. Uh, He is the one who came to explain to us how holiness and mercy can exist together, how God's mercy can come to sinful people. And so in our Lord Jesus Christ, we see preeminently the mercy of God, the compassion of God, the character of God, and we rejoice in that. So this psalm calls us, at the very heart of it, to see the character of God, but it also calls us to see the care of God. When we talk about all of his benefits, all of his doings, this psalm reduces all of those doings to two central activities of God by which he shows his care for us. This psalm really says, in effect, I think, humanity has two great problems. And we are thankful, we bless the Lord, that he cares for us in those two great problems. What are those two great problems? If someone came up to you and said, what are the greatest problems that we face in this world? What would you say? Might depend on the moment you're asked that question, right? In a bleak moment, you may say the Padres losing season. That's facetious, of course. Or you might uh, say the political mess in this country. Or perhaps you're dealing with very personal problems of, of health or finances or who knows. But this psalm calls us to what are really the most serious issues of human existence. And those are, first of all, the problem of sin and the way in which sin alienates us from a righteous God. And secondly, the problem of mortality, of death. You notice how the psalmist right at the beginning highlights those for us in verse 3. We forgot not all his benefits who forgives your iniquity and who heals all your diseases. There it is, summarized just in that very, the problem of sin and the problem of death. These are the great human problems. And so this psalm wants to speak to those greatest problems. And first of all, then, we see the problem of sin as it's presented here. Who forgives all your iniquity? Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy? And then that theme is just opened up for us at verse 10 and following. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us, according to our iniquity. Isn't that a wonderful promise? 
Isn't that a wonderful promise? What if we lived in a world of strict justice and he repaid us according to our sins? It would be calamity, wouldn't it? But that's not the way he deals with us. The psalm goes on to say, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He's talking about how the Lord removes our sin from us in terms of distances. He removes our sin from us as far as heaven is removed from earth. How far is heaven removed from earth? Well, we're able to ask that question in a slightly different way than the ancient Israelites could, can't we? We have telescopes. We have spaceships. Uh, We talk about millions of light years. You go from earth millions of light years and you still haven't gotten to heaven. It's remarkable, isn't it? Now, of course, we know actually heaven is on a different plane, if we can talk that way, from earth. But the the imagery is when you stand out at night and you look up into the sky and you see the stars, he wants you to know that if you could travel from here to the stars, your sin would have been taken further away than that. That's what the Lord has done for us. Or, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If we travel east, now why would you do that? You get to crazy parts of the country. You know, California, we're sane and sensible. You go to east coast and they're all crazy. Turnabout's fair play. (laughs) If you travel east, how long will it take you to travel till you get west? As long as you're traveling east, you're going east, you're never going to get west. That's the image, you see. This is is poetic imagery. the, The poet wants to grab us to see what a marvelous thing God has done for us. He's taken our sin so far away we couldn't find it if we looked for it. That's his compassion in action. Verse 8 sums this up wonderfully for us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. When you think about your sin... Do you think that it's great? What the psalmist wants to say is, however great your sin is, God's steadfast love abounds beyond it. God's love is greater, bigger, fuller than your sin. Now, he says this not to trivialize sin or diminish its significance, but to show how great is the redemptive love of God, again shown to us in our Savior. How great it is, how good it is, how 
abounding it is. And God speaks to us in this way because he knows for those of his people who are really regenerated by the Spirit of God, there is a sensitivity to the problem of sin, and our sin can weigh on us. And he says, God's steadfast love is greater than your sin. And we see that in how he dealt with our sin on the cross in his own son where his wrath was poured out on his son so that it would not be poured out on us. That's what he wants us to know. Now, the second great human problem that he deals with in this psalm is the problem of death. The Lord who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Has the Lord healed all your diseases? Well, every disease you've ever had healed is the Lord who did that. And he promises beyond the mortality of this life that he will redeem us from the pit, from the grave. This is a psalm of resurrection. This is a psalm of Everlasting life in our God. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. That too must be a resurrection promise. Because I'm not finding my youth renewed like the eagles in a literal sort of sense right now. But it's the promise of what will come. It's the promise of everlasting life. Here's here's God's care for us, that he drew his own son out of the pit and renewed his life like the eagles. So we will live forever in our Christ. What a wonderful psalm. You see, even people who are kind of slow, like Dutch people, can be drawn to it. I can pick on Joyce van Berkham. She's an old friend. Um, this, is, this is a glorious message. And, and it's intriguing how it relates to this world. The world has to face one of these problems, doesn't it? The world has to face the reality of death. Even there, it tries to avoid it when it can. But the world particularly rejects the problem of sin. It wants to say we're all really very good. If only we could realize what is in us. If we realized what was in us, how much worse the world would be. God has to come from the outside forgive us for what's in us and he does that in Jesus and he testifies to that doesn't he in the sacrament what a wonderful psalm this is celebrating God's character and his care in forgiving our sins and promising us everlasting life do you see how in verse 17 
the psalmist has subtly changed uh, the words about the steadfast love of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord was abounding over sin in verse 8. But in verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Great sinners need a greater forgiveness. Dying sinners need an everlasting love. You see again how this really is a psalm of resurrection. Everlasting love from God is for those who will live everlastingly. God doesn't everlastingly love the dead. He loves the living. And that's the promise here. That's the glory here. So we see his his character, we see his care, and we see his covenant. Uh, His relationship that he establishes with his people. The relationship grounded on his mercy and his goodness and his actions to save us. But also in calling us to a new life in himself. Uh, Who are the people to whom these blessings come? Uh, Who are the people who respond to this covenant care? Well, he's very clear about this. It is those who fear him, it says. Those who remember his covenant. Those who keep his commandments. Uh, The people who have responded to him as he is in Christ. It's not by fearing that we enter into relationship, but we who are in relationship respond to him in that way. Now, fearing him, keeping his covenant, remembering his commandments, those are gifts that he gives to us. That is really made very clear in this psalm as well. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. The Lord is working that fear and that response in your heart so that you're a new people, you're a different people. Or verse uh, uh, 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, the righteousness that the Lord gives that the Lord works in us. And so this is a wonderful psalm of praise. It's a wonderful psalm of confidence and encouragement. It's a wonderful psalm of the Lord's care and character for us. And my hope is that uh, uh, you'll be Dutch Reformed, that this will be one of your favorite psalms as it tells us about our God and about his care and about his covenant and about mercies that surround us and deal with our most fundamental problems. Um, The Lord who has made these promises to us is the Lord, this psalm says, who rules over all things. And the Lord who rules over all things can keep the promise to you 
that his love for you is greater than your sin. And his love for you will conquer even death. And so may our hearts be filled with joy in that confidence. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we are thankful that in the darkness of this world and in the darkness of our own hearts and minds, your light shines so brightly with declarations of who you are and promises of your care. And our prayer is, O Lord, that these promises would go with us every day, encouraging us and strengthening us uh, to the glory of your name. Hear us, for we pray in
As we bless the Lord, so the Lord blesses us, and he blesses us with his parting word. Receive now the benediction of your God. Uh, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.